I'm Kate Daniels. Let's be completely open as we meet Debbie Irving, who is an author and racial justice educator. In some fashion, we can all relate to part of Debbie's story, which is waking up white and finding myself in the story of race. Debbie offers us an important challenge. Let's meet her and see how we can make our world more just. Debbie Irving, good morning. It is so wonderful to have you join us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. It is really my uh, opportunity. I, I am just so grateful that you are who you are, doing the work that you're doing, and that you are taking this time with us this morning because with the work that you're doing around racism, education around this, making us aware of the role each of us plays in this, I think is so critical, certainly at any time in our lives. But right now is, I think, a, a real crunch time that this is kind of like, let's do it. There's no time to waste and no time better than the present. Yeah. And, I, you know, I always imagine hearing a radio interview with me before I woke up white. That's the term I use for waking up white. And I, the arc of my journey was I used to think that when it came to racism, we just had to take a stand. You know, either you were a good person and you were nice to everybody and you saw everybody as human, or you were racist and bigoted and mean-spirited and selfish. And what I didn't understand was that there's a world of education that adds all kinds of nuance to what it means to even understand what racism is. At one point, the idea of education about racism wouldn't even have made sense to me. Because, again, that's, I think, the what comes across in your book, Waking Up White. There is just so much education that happens just in our daily life, the way that we are raised. It happens to us, and my goodness, you give us then this opportunity to search within ourselves, see where these areas are, and we just are ignorant of them, not because we are ignorant, but just not knowing what it is that we're looking for, right? Yeah, and I, you know, the word ignorant, and I think I mentioned this in the book, there's one point when I was writing the book and I thought, ignorant, ignore, those words are awfully close to one another. And ignorant doesn't have to be, you know, lack of intelligence or willful ignorance. It can be simply ignoring something that you don't even really understand exists. And and that's how a lot of us, and I'm exhibit A in this phenomenon, can be uh, raised in a way that is completely racialized without even knowing that that's what's happening to you. And by racialized, I mean... Um, to believe that there is such a thing as racial difference, that we are biologically different, and then within those differences to um, embody each difference with all kinds of stereotypes and the positive stereotype of white people of being you know, smarter, harder working, better at saving money, more intelligent, just flat out superior. And that's what I was exposed to without realizing it. Um, and it still lives really deeply in my psyche. And that makes sense as well. If we've been raised, uh, whether, you know, it's just been through our childhood and we're teenagers now, or whether we are mature adults, there's still that undoing. And especially if we're mature adults, there's a lot of having to go back and redo and change that kind of cellular structure within ourselves. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I'm not convinced that I will ever get it all out, but at least I can say, oh, wait a second, you know, that, that, that clench in my stomach that tells me to cross the street because I see a black man walking towards me, that doesn't mean that person is actually a dangerous person. That's my training. Now, let me evaluate this person on other criteria. So it's that awareness that's really key. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, you've heard people say, oh, my mother, I hear my mother talking in my head. Yes. It's a little bit like that. You know, we get these ideas and these voices in our head and all kinds of ideas and beliefs. And the only way you can separate yourself from them is to, is to develop an awareness of what's in there. And that's where I feel that you are doing us such a great service in your honesty, your real desire to be so open and vulnerable, Debbie, and doing this in a book, this is available to any person willing to open up the cover and go through the pages of Waking Up White to see how we might find ourselves, you know, with you. And I certainly was finding that in, in many places. And then you give us an, a chance. It's almost like taking a workshop or a seminar where we have a way to journal and ask ourselves these questions so it really becomes integrated in us. Well, that certainly was the hope. I'm glad that you've received the book exactly as I, I imagined and I designed it to be. You know, I uh, my own waking up uh, pivotal moment in my life happened in a graduate school course at the age of 48. Um um, there was some ego involved, meaning like I was embarrassed. I, I mean, there was something terrible happening in the world, and uh, uh, a large part of me was horrified that, that I hadn't understood how damaging our society was for so many people. And the, But there was an ego-centered part of it where I was embarrassed that I'd been walking around thinking I was superior when, in fact, this whole thing had been constructed. And so I was motivated for all of those reasons. And... I just kept thinking, how could I have not woken up earlier? It's all right in front of me now that I see it. How could I not have known this? And how much do I wish someone had prodded me and woken me up earlier? And I thought that what might have worked for me personally was a book. Um, and it couldn't have been an academic book. Um, it couldn't have been a really angry book. It would have had to have been just someone telling their own story, a memoir, in fact, when I decided to write this book, Eat, Pray, Love was a, was a bestseller at the time. And I had loved that. And I remember reading it and saying, like, you can write a book like this? She's just like so raw and open and honest and telling her story. And so it's not a coincidence that when you say you're so raw and open and honest, Debbie, because what I tried to do was use her tone and her model to tell my story around racial awakening. And so that is how the book came to be in the design that it is. And the other aspect that's interesting, the book that's out is version 10. Versions 1 through 9, I put through focus groups, and I got all kinds of feedback. And it was a black man who said to me, Debbie, I'm really excited that white people are going to get to be voyeurs to your awakening, but that's not enough for me. You need to make them do their own work. And that's where the reflective questions that you're referring to at the end of each chapter. Yes. That's where that idea came from. Well, bless him. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think that that really does add a, such an anchor to the book where if we choose to, of course, but it's a great choice to make is to, is to journal along and ask those questions and, and, you know, go back and review it and think about other ways. I, I think it's just such an excellent tool, if you will. Yeah, it's it, and a, a lot of people do use it. I had I was interviewed recently by um, a really neat uh, woman out in the Bay Area, a young woman, and she and her partner read the book. It's a biracial couple. Um, they read the book aloud to one another, or they listened to it on audiobooks together, and then they paused at the end of each chapter, um, listened to the question, and then they had a conversation with each other, answering the question about themselves for one another. I thought that was a really neat use of the of the book. That truly is. And whether you're a biracial couple or not, it's for anyone to do it that way. Uh, my husband and I listen to audiobooks and love to have conversations. So it's such a logical way to do it. And you're doing it in, in, in essence in real time. So that's thank you for sharing that idea. Mm-hmm. Now, you have... You did record the audiobook, right, Debbie? Yes, I did. In my in my uh closet, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, because of my travel schedule, it was too hard to find, to get studio time and so audiobooks sent me what I needed to do an in-home studio and you can't imagine I am a technological uh I am not savvy. So I had to be walked through the whole process, but I ended up with uh, a studio in my closet for about four months, and I would record when I was home. There's a labor of love. Yeah, and it was actually really interesting to uh, read it aloud because I I relived the whole experience and remembered what it had got more in touch with what it felt like to not be awake and just how how painful and jarring and really grief-laden the process can be to let go of an idealized version of what I thought America was and what I thought my family was. And it was a painful process. And in that pain, was it therefore emotional? Would you have to stop? I asked this because at times as I read your experience, and I'm doing it you know, silently as I'm reading, I'd have to stop because I was feeling emotional and I was, tears were streaming down my face. Ah, yeah, it was especially the times, you know, my parents passed away before I started waking up, so I could never turn to them and say, for instance, around redlining and the GI Bill, did you know when you bought your home that you were participating in a racist scheme? Did you, did you know that? Um, I would love to be able to ask them that. And so all these questions I could never ask my parents. And when I was reading references to my parents and things I wish I could, conversations I wish I could have, which are, those those are sprinkled throughout the book, um, that was when I got very choked up. And so the book is definitely, I hope that those listening hear how critically important it is. It's really, I feel, a must read for all of us because we have this opportunity to learn about ourselves and to right so many wrongs that happened over the centuries. Yeah. And I, you know, my greatest hope, of course, you know, there, if, if people are just, um, you know, my brother said to me recently, don't you feel satisfied? Um, having written a book that so many people are reading and 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 awakening 
from. And I said, I only feel satisfied if all that awakening translates to actual um, impact in the world in a positive way. If there's actual change that results from it. Um, so I think, you know, what's most important to me is that yeah, people have a great read. They awaken. They're moved. It's it it begins a process or deepens a process they're already in of what it means to wake up white. And and then if I've done my job right, people will start to read the news very differently because I think right now there's a lot of confusion about you know what people are even what, Black Lives Matter. Why isn't it all lives? So I hope those kinds of confusions start to become clearer um, and that people start to see data differently. So when you, you read that there are more, um, you know, the incarceration of black men, that you can you start to ask questions, well, is that because black men are more criminal as I've been taught my whole life or could there be something else going on there? So I really hope the awakening leads to curiosity, leads to really honing in on a problem that someone feels passionate about, whether it's the way racism um, creates injustice in the medical field or the food supply system or the transportation system or the criminal justice system or the education system or the housing or the lending. Everyone has an area that will really grab them. Education is the one that has really grabbed me. So that's my ultimate hope, is that it, it's not good enough for me if, it, if people just awaken. I really hope that people will get on a journey that ultimately um, leads to change. And I underscore that with you, Debbie. That is obviously what this is. This isn't a book to enjoy and put on the shelf. No, it's a book about activism, is to see our role in the world. And I think that that's part of, or maybe essentially, the subtitle and finding myself in the story of race. We are all part of it. We have to see as as the white race, what it is that we have done in the past, how it plays out now. And that's what you help to make us realize uh, by reading Waking Up White. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that's coming to mind as I'm hearing you say that is uh, you can't be a part of, a pro of solving a problem. Well, for instance, I used to think that racism... Uh, the problem about racism was that black and brown people were suffering and somehow couldn't get themselves out of a, a mess that they had somehow created. For me to try to be useful, if that's where I'm coming from, that puts me in the mindset of trying to be an activist in terms of being a white savior, trying to help and fix people I see as broken. Once you wake up white and you see that the problem that white people created this problem and white people, there's a huge role for white people to play in creating justice. It gives people something that they can actually do. And I, I am struck by how many people want to be active and want to do something to create more racial and other kinds of justice in the United States, but they don't know how. But once you see yourself as a part of the problem, I mean, that's both kind of a sickening feeling, but it also it gives you a role that's about you. It's not about fixing others. It's about you. And that's a good lead-in to your website where there are so many opportunities to see where it is that we might find that we fit, something that's really going to capture our particular interest. Each of us has a role to play. Let's find what that role is. So let's mention your website and all that information, Debbie. 
Right. So uh, my website is debbieirving.com. Debbie's with a Y. Irving's with an I. And on the website, you people will find information about my book. I'm, I'm not a very frequent blogger because I'm having trouble finding time. But there are some blogs on there, lots of resources. And then um, I have a TED Talk that's about 14 minutes. And it's a really great introduction to how I approach the work and to what systemic racism is and how that connects to who we are as individuals and what each of us can do. I see myself as someone who's creating tools and I'm constantly learning and I'm sharing my learning as I go along and all of that. You get the sense of all of that from the website. And the book, by the way, Waking Up White, is available wherever books are sold. So now it's in an e-version, an audiobook version, a paperback version, and I've tried to keep it very affordable. Absolutely. And if that still might be a, a bit of a challenge for someone, I'm I'm going to refer you to your public library where you can borrow a copy. And then, of course, after that, you'll see that you want to have your own copy. That You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because another place that I do a fair amount of speaking is at libraries. Because what happens is when people read this book, they say, holy cow, I want to talk to, I need to, but can we get a group together about this? And so, it's a really phenomenal group read. So a number of libraries will have a book group with this book. So if one doesn't already exist and someone reads it and feels it's a good book for that, go ahead and mention that to your librarian because it is a good book to gather around. And not just for white people. It's a great way to get a, a racially mixed conversation going. Yes. Ideally, that would be the kind of group that you would get together. Mm-hmm. And speaking of groups, you are also sometimes available by Skype to join a book group. Yeah, I do that, and I have to limit it to about one or two a month just because of my schedule, but I, I love doing that. Here's the thing. I Actually, I was invited to a book group uh, locally at one point, and I realized that people were really inhibited talking about the book with me there, uh-huh. but, because sometimes people want to say, how could she have been so naive? Um, or they feel like the focus needs to be about my story. The most important thing about my book is that it provokes and inspires people to think about their own stories. And that's what you want happening in a book group. You want people sharing their own stories and talking openly about their you know, bias they didn't realize they have. And it will just start a whole new kind of conversation. And so to have me there isn't great. And yet for people who think it's valuable to have me there, what I say is, Skype me in for 15 minutes. You know, so if you have a two-hour book group, meet together for an hour, have me for about 15, 20 minutes, and then continue meeting after I leave. So maybe in that first hour you have a couple questions about, you know, how could you have been that naive or whatever your questions are. And I can come in and engage, you know, for 20 minutes. And if they're having wine, I'll have a glass of wine. <laughs> if they've got their dogs together in the room, I'll have my dog. I'll try to make myself a part of the book group for 20 minutes. But yeah, that's the way that works. So that is really perfect. But the idea is to really read this to wake up. And all of us are at different stages of waking up. So it's not like, oh, well, you know, I think I've got this handled. It's amazing. There's always some little corner in our psyche that uh, has been closed off. And we might find some important revelations there. Yes corner of our psyche. I love that term. And it often will take someone else to reflect that back for us. Or someone will say something and you'll say, oh my God, I never thought of that. But I think that too. 
So there's a strange phenomenon that happens in, among white people, and that is sort of uh, who's the better anti-racist, who's more awake. And that's something we really, really, really want to stay away from because it's just it reproduces the whole idea of hierarchy and better than, worse than, which is, for me, that's what I'm always trying to get away from because if we're trying to work in solidarity, that will undermine the ability to act out of solidarity. So I hear what you're saying, you know, I get this, I don't need to read this book. And also, though, for longtime activists, my story can remind people of what it feels like to not be awake, of where that, you know, where people might be struggling. So I think the book has a, has a lot of utility for a wide range of people. Absolutely. And I think in the process, we learn about being kind to each other, being open and accepting, being gentle, and yet challenging at the same time to question things. But that questioning does start with our own selves. Yeah, the whole idea. So I was raised absolutely, you know, never discuss politics or religion. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So for me, kindness um, would never have included challenging someone. And challenging someone, if I heard that term, I would have thought that was kind of, you know, hands on hips and lower jaw jutted out and a real kind of attitude. But challenging someone can simply mean a question. Where did you hear that idea? Or can I clarify what I think I just heard you say? Or if you believe that, then how do you feel about X, Y, Z? So challenging someone can come in the form of questioning that's both an authentic desire to wonder, where is this person coming from? And also a chance to have that person think about, why did I just say that? So challenging someone doesn't have to be this nasty, aggressive challenge. It can be done very lovingly. And in a way, you know, I heard a quote, and I wish I could remember where I heard this so I could uh, give proper attribution, but... um, Conversation is the way human beings think together. And so think about that. You know, if I certainly, and I'm going to venture to say, I think it's a cultural norm in white circles that race is a taboo topic. So if there's this uh, code of silence around talking about it, then we, we can't talk about it together, which means we can't think about it together. And so we're stuck in our heads with these archaic ideas and afraid to speak up, terrified of saying something stupid or offensive. And so we avoid it. We remain and we maintain our ignorance and we remain completely useless to uh, people who have been historically and are continuing to be targeted based on race, ethnicity, religion and other differences. And we can't stand up and have anyone's back if we don't have the language for it. We don't know how to think about it or talk about it. So we need to have the courage. I remember that from your TED Talk about having the courage to really speak and be vulnerable in that courage and not beat ourselves up, but venture forth because it's only that way that we're going to be able to start learning and approaching and really being able to better articulate and understand. Isn't that what you're saying, Debbie? Yes. Think of it as learning a foreign language. I mean, you couldn't learn a foreign language if you weren't willing to make some mistakes. So uh, when I think about courage, I mean, this is so much bigger than any one of us. And yet what trips most people up is um, 
this is too uncomfortable for me, I'm afraid I'll make a mistake. The fact of the matter is, this is a life or death matter, and so my ego really shouldn't have much of a part in this. I've just got to get over myself. I've got to get okay with making mistakes. It can't be about me and my self-image. When we're talking about um, you know, a 400-year-old problem that is escalating as we speak, and people are dying. And, you know, people are dying. That's the extreme end of the way this hurts people. We have got children in schools who cannot get an education because their teachers cannot see them for who they are. You know, we've got people who, are, who have done everything. They've got two PhDs, and they buy their dream sports car, but they get stopped every time they go out because a policeman will say, well, that can't be your car. And so they end up having to not even be able to enjoy their car ride, which leads to high blood pressure. And the situation impacts a person of color every minute of every day. It really does. And for white people to not understand how severe it is in all aspects of a person's life or to understand what it's like not to have that kind of discrimination, that's a gulf that, and I hope my book takes a step in helping to explain how that gulf is possible and how important it is that we cross that. What your book does, Debbie, it gives us this opportunity to see that historical perspective, much of it really having been underscored within the last century, within the last uh, 60, 70 years. And so really, because it is a life and death matter, and life is just so beautifully explained, how it's really tragically affecting the daily lives of those of a color other than white, of that privileged white class. We need to do something. We have a responsibility, don't we? Yeah, we do. And you just used that word, privilege. Um, and just in case I hadn't used it before, privilege is such a uh, lightning rod of a word. And I know I used to think that privilege meant wealth. And in this context, this is a th the thing about we need to get vocabulary for it. Privilege is the best word anyone has come up for, for the opposite of discrimination. So you don't have to be wealthy to have racial privilege. So, for instance, you know, I've got able-bodied privilege. I've got Christian privilege. I've got uh, English language as my first language privilege. So, meaning I'm not being discriminated against for having an accent or not being fluent in English. I'm not being discriminated against because of my religion, and I'm not being discriminated against. I'm not having to get into a struggle to get a ramp built for my workplace or to even get a job and having to convince people that I can do it despite some kind of a disability, physical, emotional, or cognitive ability. There's all kinds of privileges. White privilege simply means racial privilege. It means you're not being discriminated against based on the racial category that you've been assigned. It's a legal category. So you might be suffering in all other kinds of ways. You might be trapped in a cycle of poverty, but if you are white and trapped in a cycle of poverty, or you are black, or you are Latino, or you are Muslim, and you're uh, a brown-skinned Muslim trapped in that cycle of poverty, that looks very different. So it's much more complicated than white privilege means white people have money. And it's that complexity that demands education. And we have that opportunity. It's right here within our grasp to 
read this book. Maybe first watch the TED Talk, as you had, had suggested to me earlier, Debbie, at your website. Let's mention the website again. It's DebbieIrving.com, and Debbie's with a Y, Irving's with an I. So take the opportunity to watch the TED Talk and then be really drawn to picking up a copy, your own copy of Waking Up White, because, uh, Debbie, I think you've just really given us such a gift, this magnificent opportunity to be part of real change. And I am so grateful that you are the woman that you are and that you're doing the work that you're doing. Well, thanks. I'm not alone. There are lots and lots of people out there doing this work. I've had the finance, the class privilege of having more time and resources to take more of a public stand than a lot of people are. But, but the world should know that wherever you live in this country, there are white people doing this work near you. People can look up. I really encourage people who, if they read the book and they put it down, they say, oh, whoa, I need to do something. There are chapters all over the country of something called Surge, Standing Up for Racial Justice, which is very specifically for white people wanting to get involved. So you can look that up on the website and see if there might be a chapter near you. And if there isn't, you can always start one. There is a real movement going on in our country, and the time is now.